Hey, y'all let them know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship this morning. So blessed by them and those who are giving their talents to the Lord here to help lead us. Well, you got a Bible with you, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going verse by verse through this marvelous book, and we find ourselves in a series entitled Family Ties. So as you're opening up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, our verses will be 25 through 33. And let me just kind of on the onset go ahead and tell you that one of my desires as a man is to be a good father and also to be a good husband. And uh, really, that's kind of one of the keys, right? I want to be a good husband. I remember 16 years ago, I said, I do to my wife, Krista. And uh, let me just say it like this. I still do. Y'all all right with that? And uh, I really do. I want to minister to her. I want to love her in a way that really does make a difference in her life. And I think every follower of Jesus who knows the Lord, who has a relationship with him, uh, really, as a, a husband, you should have that same desire. I know God has that desire for you. And uh, I, I pray that's your desire also. But you know, it's interesting as we open up Ephesians chapter 5, if we kind of uh, sit back and recall a little bit of the context of what's going on to those that are receiving this particular letter. Uh, those who are receiving this letter are fairly new believers, uh, to be honest with you. It's a new church, and uh, that church is right dead center in the midst of a pagan society. Uh, this society was known for its worship of a false goddess. And the interesting thing about this particular worship of the false goddess is that it actually led, and uh, I know this is going to be crazy, but this is what it did. It led to this huge prostitution ring that was ran out of the worship of this false goddess, Diana. And so as a result, loose living was kind of elevated and kind of uh, seen as normal in that particular culture. And so these new believers now, they've been saved out of that, and they've been, you know, set aside for the purpose of following Jesus. And now they're in this desperate need, basically to know what a marriage should look like, what men should look like, husbands as well as wives. So last Sunday we looked at the wives' role. Today we look at the husband's role. And you're going to discover in this particular passage of Scripture, like I have, that this is the uh, quintessential, most beautiful picture of marriage throughout the entirety of Scripture. Because in this text of Scripture, it elevates the fact that Jesus uh, is really using marriage as a picture of the gospel uh, that is to everybody. Matter of fact, what you're going to discover is that the husband is to play the role of Christ in the relationship, and the wife is to play the role of the church in the relationship. And for us to have the marriages that God really desires and that you really desire, we've got to get on his blueprint. We've got to find out exactly how God wants us to live as husbands. So we're going to find a text today that speaks directly to us. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, if you'll stand with me and out of God's word, you've got it there in front of you, say amen. And uh, interesting thing, a lot of... Um, Husbands this week have been telling me that they weren't going to be here today. And uh, they said Saturday they're going to pretend like they don't feel good, start coughing. And uh, some of you who said that, I see you here. So I'm, I'm glad that your wife made you come. All right. So here we go. Verse 25, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Notice that. That's a huge verse. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, 
and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's bow together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and God, I thank you that it never returns void. So, Lord, use me as a vessel of yours this morning to deliver the truth. And God, I pray for families at Concord, specifically marriages, that marriages here would be an example in the community of what it really looks like uh, to love Jesus. And so, God, I pray for marriages that are in struggle, that are facing difficult times, and just want to ask in Jesus' name that you would use your word today to give biblical application to the husband, that he would be able to apply what he hears, and that he would see the fruit of obedience. And God, I pray for marriages that they literally would just be strengthened this morning. And as they leave here today, I pray that men would kind of be, um, I don't know, encouraged to take a step uh, forward in their marriage, do, do more, excel still more in their love, excel still more in their leadership. And God, I'm trusting that you will do that. And that's in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you be seated if you will. So just the key question, pretty simple, right? What can we learn as husbands from this text? All right, so I want to get you to write down two things. So all the husbands in the house, make sure that you're taking notes. Wives, you take notes as well. In case he loses his, you can help him out this week. Amen? And they're uh, going to be a great, great time. But two major truths kind of just leap off the page to me as I was reading this that have really helped me, hopefully helped you as well. And the first one is this. Hold nothing back in your love for your wife. Hold nothing back in your love for your wife. So again, Ephesians 5.25, the scripture says, Husbands, love your wives. And I love the message paragraph phrase written by Eugene Peterson of this verse. He says it like this, quote, husbands go all out in your love for your wives. Now I love that. that. Go all out. Go for it. Give it everything that you've got. Now we use that phrase all the time, right? Go for it. Give it all. Do your best. But typically when we do that, you know, we may think of the sporting arena and we're like, you know, do the best you can there. Or maybe even as men, we think about where we work and we're like, do your very best there. But here's what I want you to see this morning. I want to encourage you as a husband to give your very best at home, not at work, not on the ball field. I want you to give your very best to the home. Come geared up, ready to go all out in your love for your wife. Now, the scripture says it, doesn't it? Husbands love. Let's just kind of break it apart a little bit here. Notice the word love. You might want to circle that. There are uh, four major words for love in the Greek grammar. Uh, one of those words is the word eros. It's a Greek word that speaks of uh, passion or sexual love. Now, that's not the word that Paul's using here in this text of Scripture. But whenever we see eros described in the New Testament, what we see there is that the marriage is the place where sexual love is to take place. It's not to take place outside of that, not to take place before that. Uh, basically, husbands, if you're going to love your wife properly, then that's the wife that you need to be with. And so that's what eros speaks of. Then there's the word uh, phileo. It's a Greek word that describes brotherly love. Matter of fact, uh, if you think of Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love, the word Philadelphia came from the Greek word phileo. So it's brotherly love. Now, it also speaks of this friendship kind of love. And I would say to every husband here, uh, that's not the word being used in this text, but there is a encouragement through the scripture that your wife really should be your best friend. So make sure that you as a husband are seeking to build your relationship with your wife as a friend. So she needs to experience phileo love from you. And then there's another word for love, and that's storge. Uh, storge is family love, right? So you love because uh, it's a family member. Now, I think probably all of us have an uncle or a cousin, and somebody's like, do you love them? And you're like, well, I have to. 
their family, right? That's storge love. Well, that's not the love he's describing here. But the love that he is describing here is that great uh, word for love in the Greek grammar, which is agapeo. Agapeo describes an unconditional, uh, self-sacrificing kind of love. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, he quotes uh, in his book, The Four Loves, concerning agapeo, saying this, quote, it is a gifting love. And I love that phrase, a gifting love. It is a love that gives. It's not a love that seeks to take. And so it is a giving love. Now, husbands, love your wives. Now, very quickly, uh, when you just listen to that phrase there, uh, let's make sure that the word your is magnified for a second. Husbands, love your wives. You know what I'm saying there? Don't love somebody else's wife. Are y'all listening, yeah? Because this is huge, right? Even in the context in which this letter is being written, they are living in a society of loose living and everybody's sleeping with everybody. And so Paul the Apostle says, you as followers of Jesus don't live like the pagan culture. So you love your wife. That's a huge mandate as well, even in our culture. And sadly, it's something that has to be preached from the pulpit in churches today. We live in a very uh, sex-saturated culture, which actually gives free license to give yourself to anybody and everybody. And oftentimes, even those who are dating and they may be thinking about marriage, they go ahead and sleep with each other because they want to make sure they're sexually compatible. Can I just say to you, uh, you are sexually compatible to millions of people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Husbands love your wives. If you're not married yet, a way that you can love your future wife is stay pure. And if you're not married yet and you're a woman here, the way that you can love your future husband is to stay pure. And if you've already faltered in that, already failed in that, there's grace at the cross of Jesus Christ, and he will flood your soul with it. But seek to live a pure life. But even as a husband now, I've got to also live a pure life. I need to love my wife. Now, I love how Paul the Apostle just rolls it out here because we as men love examples, and so Paul gives an example to the husbands. Notice he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's the example. Our example for marriage is Jesus. How did Jesus love the church? And by the way, the word church is ecclesia. It's a Greek word that means the company of the called out ones. All of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they've left darkness and come into the light They have turned away from sin and trusted in Jesus. They are the ones who have been a part of the called out ones. So they are now part of the church. And the church, (laughs) y'all with me on that? I just went through puberty. But anyway, the church, that was ridiculous. I can't do that again if I wanted to. But the church is actually uh, considered the bride of Jesus Christ. And so now Jesus is the example. He gave himself up for the church. In other words, he didn't come to be served by the church. He came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And really that's kind of the picture here. Now, as I'm studying this, I'm also reminded that Jesus' love towards the church is a self-sacrificing love. He not only came to serve, but he came also to die. He gave up his life 
for the church. Jesus died on the cross to bear the penalty in his body, which we deserve for our sin. He died in our place. He was buried and he was resurrected. And so Jesus, again, he gave his life for the church. Galatians 1.4 says Jesus gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. You see, the greatest calling of a husband is to love his wife. Pastor James McDonald speaks on this passage and reminds husbands that the command to love your wife is an act of the will. So this is an act of volition. You are making a choice to love your wife. Now, sometimes a husband says, well, I'm just not feeling it right now. But here's the reality. The love that we are called to express toward our wife is not a feeling love. It is a choosing love. You choose to love your wife just as Jesus chose to love you. And so you express this towards your wife. You have that discipline. Whenever you have that discipline, then desire will come, then delight will come. Uh, again, I love what James McDonald says, uh, quote, do the things that love does and you'll start feeling the things that love feels. Do the things that love does and you'll start feeling the things that love feels. In a relationship like marriage, uh, feelings are not a good engine. Emotions are not a good engine to drive the marriage. Let emotions and feelings kind of be the caboose. You choose to love your wife just like Jesus loved the church. Now, as I was studying this, a few questions kind of uh, bore out of the passage of Scripture for my life as a husband, and I'll give them to you as well. You want to jot them down. But the first question every husband needs to ask is this. What am I giving up for the benefit of my wife? What am I giving up for the benefit of my wife? Jesus' love was a giving love. He gave up his life. What am I giving up? You know, this reminds me that I need to approach my relationship with Krista with an attitude that says, what can I do for you? As opposed to an attitude that says, what can you do for me? Matter of fact, when it comes to Krista, I've got to roll up my sleeves and serve her with my whole heart. Now, it's amazing how the Lord kind of gives these passages uh, during uh, great times in our marriage, right? So right now, and Krista's here today on the front row. Y'all down with that? Say, that's why I'm not looking over there while I'm preaching. But anyway, so, uh, but she's here today, but she had back surgery. And so I'm working on this message, and I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta serve her. And uh, she's in a place where she's not able to do a whole lot. And so really and truly, I, I had to, I, I've been rolling my sleeves up. Y'all down with it? Say amen. Uh, seeking to serve my wife, but I need to do that at all times. And you as well need to do that. I just thought it was interesting that the Lord would have me preach on this while all this stuff was going going on uh, in our home. But just a good encouragement. I got to roll up my sleeves. That means as well for all the husbands in the house that we can't put on passive pajamas and live in the home. Now, whenever I say passive pajamas, I'm really describing the husband who has a passive personality. In other words, he's choosing not to take the initiative and lead. He just kind of puts his pajamas on, sits around, and does nothing by way of leading his wife spiritually, uh, does very little, maybe even nothing by helping uh, with the financial culture of the home, not helping maybe even raising the children in the home. He just kind of sits there, hangs out. Listen, God's not called you to live that way. God has called you to lead in the home, just like Jesus leads the church. So we've got this great calling. So take off those passive pajamas, roll up your sleeves, and serve your wife with your whole heart. Go all out in serving her. Now, verse 26 and 27, we're given the purpose for why Jesus gave himself up for the church. So look at verse 26. Y'all got it there in front of you? Say yes. 
All right, so the Bible says uh, he gave himself up so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So think about that. He gave himself so that he might sanctify her. That's an awesome word. We just preached on sanctification not long ago. That's the uh, picture of Jesus not only redeeming you and bringing you into his family, but Jesus has set you aside. He has set us aside for his own specific pleasure, his own specific use. We are, if I can say it this way, a treasure of the Lord and his sacrifice. But think about it as a husband. You're to hold nothing back in loving your wife, so you are also simultaneously to set her aside in your life as your greatest treasure. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. How many of you agree with that? You men, you agree with that? When you found your wife, you found a treasure. Amen? I, I gave you a chance there. Are you with me? All right. Let me give it to you again. You found a treasure. Can I get a witness? Amen. You better say something. <laughs> Don't be all catcalling. All right? Calm down. But anyway, pretty, pretty awesome here what's going on. So there's also, uh, back to verse 26, Paul speaking about the word as being a cleansing agent for the church. Now, the word speaks about the gospel. It speaks about the good news that is written right here in our Bibles. Did you know that? This is pretty interesting. As a follower of Jesus, when you spend time in God's word, God uses his word to actually cleanse you, to purify your soul. It's the same imagery back in Psalm 51. Whenever David committed sin, he came before the Lord in a prayer of repentance. And he asked the Lord, he's like, Lord, uh, cleanse me, purify me like soap. So he's, he's, he's saying, God, speak to me. And that's the same thing. When you read God's word, God's using that as soap in your life. Even as I'm preaching it and you're listening to it, God wants to use his word like soap in your life to cleanse you and to purify you. His word is there to build you up. His word is present to strengthen you in difficult days. His word is also there to encourage you. His word is there to warn you. His word is there to help you. That's why we have God's word. His word sanctifies us. His word sets us aside. It washes us. Now, again, if you think about this, the way Paul has it in his mind as he's penning this letter, Paul is giving the example of Jesus' relationship to the church and saying, man, you be like that. So that leads me to ask a second question. When I read this concept about God's word, and that question is, do my words build up my wife? Do my words build up my wife? Matter of fact, um, you got to just put it down. I mean, know it for sure. Uh, you cannot dog your wife and expect your marriage to be great. You can't rag her out. You can't demean her. You can't call her names. You can't, you know, speak harshly to her. Listen, if you're, if you're doing that, you need to stop doing that. You got to repent of that before the Lord. Ask the Lord to forgive you and then ask your wife to forgive you. You can't expect to have the marriage God wants for you and speak to your wife in that particular manner. So instead, you've got to make sure that you're seeking to encourage her, to build her up with how you speak to her. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building others up. Well, that same principle applies in your marriage. So men, you got to take inventory of your speech. You got to take inventory of your tone. How are you speaking to your wife? And what is your tone towards your wife? Speak in a way that encourages her. And man, what a great privilege we have. We got this great treasure of a wife that God gave to us. We want to make sure that we're speaking in such a way that she finds strength in our presence and she is not brought down by our presence. 
And uh, so it's a huge calling, a great one too. So, so Levi, all right, I'm talking about me. I, I have this awesome opportunity uh, to be married to Krista. And so I've got this awesome opportunity to encourage her. So I started kind of thinking about ways that I really want to encourage my wife. So one of the ways I really want to encourage my wife with my words is whenever she is using the gifts that God has given to her. So my wife has the spiritual gift of leadership. She has the spiritual gift of uh, helping lead people even in worship. So when she sings up here on stage, when she does that, I mean, God uses her to encourage me. So you know what I want to do? I want to make sure I come alongside her and encourage her in those areas. Say, babe, you are knocking out this morning. You really helped. I mean, you're actually worshiping the Lord. It's helping our fellowship. I want to encourage her in that. I also want to encourage her in the home. So as she is a wife, to me, I want to tell her she's the best wife a man could ever have. Can I get a witness, girl? Come on up here. I'm just kidding. But that's, that's so true, man. And so I tell her, I'm like, I'm so blessed to be married to her. She's an awesome wife. So I'm going to tell her that as well. She's doing awesome as a mom. I want to encourage her. Let her know she's a great mom to our children. She's investing truth into their lives. I want to encourage her. I want to tell her she's doing an awesome job helping raise the kids, right? All I'm doing is trying to encourage her, trying to help her, trying to build her up. Because again, think about it. We take God's word into our life and it builds us. So your wife should be able to take your words into her life and it build her. So again, take inventory of how you're speaking to your wife and make sure that you're speaking in such a way that you're helping and not hindering, that you're adding value to her life and not subtracting value from her. Verse 27, the Bible says, and he, speaking of Jesus, might also present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So here again, Paul's talking about Jesus' relationship to the church. Here's what's awesome in the text. Jesus is in the process of actually preparing us uh, for eternity. So we're being sanctified, set aside, growing in Christ-likeness. His word is cleansing us. But there's coming a day when Jesus will have his bride, the church, presented to himself and there'll be no spot, there'll be no wrinkle, there'll be nothing of blame in the church's life. That's you and I. So we're going to be glorified in the presence of the Lord. But Jesus takes uh, responsibility for this. Jesus wants you to grow in your faith. Jesus looks forward to the day he can glorify you. Jesus looks forward to the day that he can present you to himself without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So again, I'm reading this and I'm saying, Jesus is my example. So what does this mean to me as a husband? This means that I need to take responsibility to make sure I'm investing in my wife so that she is growing spiritually in the Lord. So I'm making sure that I'm spending time praying for her, making sure we're talking about what the Lord's teaching us in our life, making sure we're praying uh, for each other, leading the family. This is all God's call. We're doing this in such a way so that, and this is the amazing thing, it's like you're presenting her before you as a woman who is holy. That's our responsibility as husbands. And I want you to consider that for just a moment because it leads me really to a third question, and that is, is my wife growing in her relationship with Jesus as a result of my leadership? Think about that, men. Think about how long have you been married? I've been married 16 years. I would hope over the course of 16 years with my wife being married to me that she is more like Jesus today than she was when we first got married. And I would hope that would happen because God was using me, check this out, as a tool to help sanctify her, set her aside. 
You see, relationships are the laboratory where God actually sanctifies us and works upon our lives. And that happens also in the marriage relationship between the husband as well as the wife. So I've got to make sure that I'm holding nothing back in my love for my wife, Krista. Love your wives. Here's a second church. Jot this one down. I like this one. Whatever you do to your wife, you do to yourself. Whatever you do to your wife, you do to yourself. Look at verse 28. All the way through 31, the Bible says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And check this out. And the two shall become one flesh. Now, everything that I'm going to talk to you about right now really is predicated upon that statement. The two shall become one flesh. See, whenever a husband and a wife marry, they become one flesh. Now, typically we say one plus one equals two, but not in the marriage equation. It's one plus one equals one. See, God established marriage in the beginning, and he chose for a man and a woman to become a new family unit. And so together they are one flesh. And just as the church is an extension of Jesus, so the wife is an extension of the husband. Matter of fact, Jesus sees whatever is done to the church as being done to himself. A great biblical illustration of that is uh, Saul before he became Paul the apostle. Saul was actually a hater of all the Christians. He wanted to get rid of them. Uh, he was actually a party to uh, putting them in prison and uh, persecuting them and stoning them. This, this is what he was doing. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Now, that doesn't seem like the right question to ask, does it? Seems like he's been persecuting the church. So Jesus would have said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? But he doesn't ask that. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus knows that the church is an extension of himself. He's the head and we are the body. Whatever's done to the body is done to the head. Now, in a like manner, as a husband, an extension of my life is my wife. So she is one with me. So ultimately, whatever I do to her, I do to myself. I think every man in the room would agree with this, right? You would agree with the fact that if somebody else did something to your wife, you would be guns a-blazing, wouldn't you? Y'all help me out here, yeah? You'd be like, hold on just a second, you're not going to do that. Because why? You, you see that being done to her as something being done to you. Well, the way you treat your wife is also how you treat yourself. And that's what Jesus is actually teaching through Paul the Apostle in this text. And we're going to see it even further here as we look at the phrase where he says, no one ever hated his own flesh. Nobody ever hated his own flesh. Now, this doesn't mean, guys, that you hadn't looked in the mirror before and said, good night, I'm ugly. Because uh, many of you have. I know you've done this, right? And so uh, I've done this. I know uh, you've done this. And you're like, yeah. I mean, by the way, this is all free. Are y'all with me? I don't, I don't know what my deal is if I'm just getting old. But I got hairs growing out of my nose that used to didn't be there. I mean, I'm trimming them. I got hairs growing right here on the side of my neck. I'm thinking, what is happening to me? Right. I just said that as a prayer request. But anyway, so... Uh, We've got this concept here that nobody ever hated his own flesh. So what exactly is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a, a husband or a man. Uh, you take care of your flesh. 
In other words, you don't allow your flesh to go without food, without protection, without comfort. You're taking care of yourself. That's why he says, nobody ever hated his own flesh. Matthew Henry says it like this concerning the same verse. He says, no man in his right senses ever hated himself. However deformed or whatever his imperfections might be, he uses himself with a great deal of care and tenderness and is industrious to supply himself with everything convenient or good for him, with food or clothing, etc. Another wrote, quote, men constantly nourish and cherish their own flesh, protecting it from hurt, seeking to heal it whenever it's hurt, generally to promote its welfare and its comfort. So think about this as we go a step further in verse 29. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also loves the church. Now, very quickly, nourishes and cherishes, two phenomenal words. The word nourish means to provide for, to take care of. So just as you provide for your own flesh, you're to provide for your own life. And then the word here for cherishes, it's the idea of warmth. Uh, some scholars even believe it's pointing to this idea of affectionate warmth. So you warm your own body whenever you're cold. In a like manner, you would seek to warm your wife's life. Now, how do we do this as men? Because we're called to love with everything we've got. Whatever we do to her, we're doing to ourselves. So we've got to learn to meet the needs of our wife. And in doing so, it actually benefits us. So what are the needs of a woman? I do not know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Willard Harley has written a book called His Needs, Her Needs. I've used it several times in premarital counseling. But he specifically outlines five needs that every single wife needs. And so I want you to jot these down, husbands. All right, jot them down. Here's the first thing she needs. She needs your affection. She needs your affection. That is your kindness, your closeness, your friendship, your devotion. So you can't act in indifference toward her. That's not being affectionate. You've got to show her affection. Secondly, she needs your conversation. So she wants to hear from you. Listen, some of you husbands, you're not communicating with your wife. You're not spending time having a conversation. That is a need that she has. And whenever you ignore that need, you're not only doing detriment to her, but you're doing detriment to yourself. Because whatever you do to her, you do to you. She needs some conversation. My wife and I, we kind of got away from that. I've shared this already before. But one thing that has helped us tremendously because we got so busy, we realized we weren't really having conversations. And we kind of sit down with each other on a regular basis and just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. In my mind, it's like, let's at least get 20 minutes here. But after 20 minutes, boom, hush, woman. No, I'm just kidding. You know what I'm saying? But no, that was a joke. All right. But anyway, but we're sharing. We're conversating. Listen, your, your wife wants to hear from you. So, so you need to communicate. Here's the third one. She needs your honesty and openness honesty and openness. Listen, if you're, I, I, I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, how many marriages have been flat out messed up because a husband has some kind of secret? He, he's out here pleasuring maybe his flesh in a way that is unbiblical. Maybe he's got another woman. Maybe he's a drunk. Maybe he's got this, I don't know what the deal is, but he, 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 he rolls out secretively, gets all by himself, does his little thing, and then comes back, and the wife is like, what have you been doing? Where have you been? And then he starts lying about it. Listen, you gotta, if that's you, you got to quit acting like a boy and start being a man. See, there are a lot of boys who can shave, and a lot of them go to church. It's not God's call for you. You need to act like a man, open, honest with your wife. Here's another need she has. She needs your financial stability, your financial stability. And by the way, that's a huge hat to wear, isn't it? 
Financial stability. That means we, we as men, check this out, the Bible teaches we as men, we're the breadwinners. We, y'all have heard the phrase, bring home the bacon. If you're, if you're a husband here, that's your role. You are to, to provide for you. And I, you may not be able to put a mansion on the hill for her, but you need to put something there that actually shows that you are seeking to provide for your wife and your family. Don't split on that. You can't roll out from that responsibility and act like God's okay with it. He's not. That's God's call for your life. And, and I'm saying that with a little bit of, a, hopefully a little bit of fervor, because I, I'm getting ticked off at how many men are just rolling out on their families and not providing for them. Some of them just leaving altogether. It's like, you figure it out. What, what's your problem, dude? You're calling yourself a follower of Jesus and acting like that? You can't do that. That's not how Jesus wants you to live. You provide. You, y'all, y'all listening? You provide. That's your call. So if you're that close or maybe stepping out of the house and you're like, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to be over here. You figured out. Listen, God is not pleased with that attitude. And I'm telling you, you're going to reap judgment. You're going to reap it. So you got to get over that, man. You got to repent of your sin. You got to ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask your wife to forgive you. And you come back in and be the man like God's called you to be. Y'all help a brother out up here. Nobody's preaching this stuff. It was like three of you did. God bless you three. Last thing, uh, she needs family support. Family support. So oftentimes this can be seen in the context of helping create a well-managed home environment, helping create a peaceful situation in the home. Uh, Choosing to be careless uh, when it comes to your family's everyday life is actually hurting your wife, and it is also hurting you. Listen, this is amazing. Whatever you do to your wife, you do to yourself. You you know what some husbands' issues are? Some husbands' issues are this. They think the the grass is greener on the other side. You may tell you why it's greener over there? Because you haven't been watering your own. You water your marriage and it'll get green. You remember whenever you had to learn how to drive? You know, I, you know, you had to take the little test, you know, to make sure you get your driver's license. And I remember as a, a high schooler, that was like, that's where it was at, man. I wanted to get to drive, you know what I mean? My mom had a geo prism. But I was like, I am driving that thing. I was just thinking back. I like put the seat back, threw my hand up, you know what I'm saying? Turn up that little treble on the radio. It had no bass, it was all treble, you know what I'm saying? But I remember, okay, so you got to take the test. you got to figure out where to put your hands on the steering wheel. They ask you on the test, where do you put your hands on the steering wheel? Anybody remember? Say, say it out loud like I'm preaching up here. Yeah, 10 and 2, right? 10 and 2. So they're like, put one here, put one here. Don't, don't be driving like this with one hand. Don't be driving like this with your kneecaps, which I ain't going to lie to you. I do a pretty good bit. You're listening to me. But we live in Lula, so it's like there ain't nobody around. Ten and two is where it's supposed to be. So I, I thought about that. You want it ten and two so it doesn't go off into the ditch. When you think about your marriage, you want to keep it from going off in the ditch? Put one hand on ten. Give everything you've got to loving your wife. Put another hand on two. Whatever you do to her, you do to yourself. And if you'll keep your hands there and you'll keep your eyes focused and stay sober-minded and live like God's called you to live, he'll keep you from allowing that marriage to go off into the ditch. 
Don't miss that. And some of you, some of you, listen, the reason that this is so vitally important is because your marriage is linked to the mission of making disciples everywhere. It's linked to that mission. The amazing thing is that most preachers don't have an opportunity to preach on that aspect of it because they're too busy preaching. Just stay together. Just love each other. Just stay together. Listen, that, that's elementary stuff. Your marriage is linked to the mission of making disciples. Your marriage is a reflection of the gospel of Jesus. And I, and I would say to some of you uh, who are more mature, you've been married for many, many years. Some of you in the house today have been married 25, 35, 45 years. God wants to, and, and I know, because if, if, if we're like, uh, would you just stand up and testify? Somebody be like, I've been married 45 years, and it's been wonderful. I hope you'd say that, you with me? It's been wonderful. Well, listen, don't, don't just hoard all of that expertise and wisdom that you have to yourself. Find some young people in our church, newlyweds, maybe they've been married 10 years, maybe 15 years. Take up time with them. Invest in their life. Help disciple them. Your marriage is linked to the mission. That's why the enemy is attacking it. Because the enemy knows if he can get husbands and wives fighting and arguing and acting the fool towards each other, he will keep them from being involved in the mission. So where are you this morning? Husbands, how are you doing at what the Scripture calls us to do? Now, if you're here today and you're like, oh, my word, that's, you just opened my eyes, I'm a, I've been doing terrible. My goal is not to guilt you. My goal is to help you. So I just want to encourage you, just take what you've learned, start practicing those principles. You want to really figure out where you can grow as a husband? Take those five needs that I've shared, sit down with your wife this afternoon and say, honey, tell me how I'm doing in this area. Honey, tell me how, it got real quiet on me, y'all with me? How am I doing here? How am I doing here? You, you might be shocked at what your wife shares with you. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, help us, Lord, not to be hearers only of the word, but be doers. And I pray for our church body, the families that are represented here, that they will be strengthened by your word, and God, especially marriages. I pray in Jesus' name that marriages would honor you, that you would use those marriages to make an impact in the culture, to make a difference. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, last week I asked the husbands to put a hand on their wife and pray for them. So today I'm asking the wives, if you'll just reach over, put your hand on your husband. If he's not there, just pray for him in your seat. Would you pray for him? And just ask the Lord to make him the spiritual leader in the home. One of the primary ways that you as a wife have an opportunity to experience the love of God is through the love of your husband, the agape o love, that's Christian love. That love is poured out into your husband's heart by the Holy Spirit. So as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, that love flows through his life and reaches you. Pray for him to display that kind of love. And Father, we pray continually for marriages here in our fellowship and ask that you would do a work in hearts and help us, Lord, to be uh, who you've called us to be. 
And Father, even in, in marriage, the best way to experience a marriage that is filled with joy, filled with peace and grace, is really to be a marriage that's walking the path of your will, your purpose, your plan. And it's right there for us in the Word. God, we thank you for that. And we thank you as well, Lord, you don't call us to do something that you will not equip us to do. And Lord, I may just lift up a prayer to any in our fellowship, maybe guests, maybe individuals who are members here, and Lord, they're flirting with sin, flirting with danger. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would draw them to yourself, that they will find grace at the cross. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Everything that I preach this morning is directly towards those who are followers of Christ. So if you're here today, uh, listen, you, you can't really even apply what I've been preaching if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. Well, here's the great news. God loves you. God wants you to know him. Matter of fact, God loved you so much that even though you were a sinner just like me, that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin. Over 2,000 years ago, that's what happened. Jesus bore in his body the punishment that you deserve. He was buried, and then he was raised again. Now, the Scripture says if you'll turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sin, given a brand new life. Some of you need that today. So right where you are, husband, wife, or anybody else who does not have a relationship with the Lord, who desires one today, if God's calling you, would you just pray something like this in your heart? Just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. And so today I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for Jesus, his death in my place. And thank you for his life. Now help me to live the life that you've called me to live. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, the first step of obedience for a new believer, if you've just prayed and given your heart to Jesus, is to be baptized. So in a moment, we'll stand to our feet. I'll be here in the front, others as well. I'm going to ask you to leave the place where you've been seated today. If you've given your heart to Jesus, you just come forward. We want to pray for you, set you up a time to be baptized in the days ahead. Or God may be calling your church, uh, or calling you rather, to join this church body. If that's the case, then you'd be obedient to the Lord. But most of all, man, I, I'm just praying that marriages would be strengthened as a result of our time together in God's Word. And Father, we thank you and give you the invitation and pray that you'd work as you see fit. And that's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning.